Good morning, planet Earth. Good morning, friends and neighbors out there scurrying about looking for food and shelter and water and what's it. It is January the 8th, 2022, Friday. Thank God it's Friday, right? Right around 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. And I am talking with my friend, Jim Davidson. How you doing, Jim? I am doing well. I did some scurrying yesterday and... Uh... I have clean laundry to show for it, and earlier in the week I did other scurrying. I have food in the refrigerator, and actually I have a fully thawed turkey in the kitchen sink, so I'll be baking that later. So the scurrying works, people. It's still it's still possible to go to the stores and buy things. That's really cool. Welcome to 2022, Bo Blimp Doc. Indeed. You can still go to the store. It's a little bit more pixelated than it was a couple years ago. But there are still pixels, so you can make out the movie, and the movie still says, bye, bye, bye. Uh, Well, that is the message of all stores everywhere. That is the entire purpose of the the global economy, is to provide people with the things that they need. Yes, and... And people are fulfilling that purpose. Woo, go people. But one of the things I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this before we get into our topics, I've noticed this and my friends here have noticed this, a lot of the corporate food is starting to taste like it's been in a warehouse for a while. Okay, I have not really noticed that, but I don't eat a lot of the corporate food. There you go. So, Well, one of the things that I like is, is, is like... Uh, um, I've been having Thanksgiving a lot, and one of the Thanksgiving uh, dishes that I prepare is a green bean casserole, which is either frozen green beans or canned green beans. And then I bake them with uh, mushroom soup, and I put the little uh, fried onion bits on top, and it's really good. And, um, you know, so canned beans, they can, they can be in a can for two or three years. It's not going to affect their flavor. Um, you know, steel cans are now mostly lined with some sort of polyethylene or something. And then, um, you know, canned soup, same, same thing. The little onion bits, they're just, you know, um, it's, it's, it's sort of a, uh, you know, it's a carbohydrate rich, nothing food. But, uh, so what I'm saying is that I prepare a lot of the food myself and I don't just go and get like, um, I don't know, Eskimo pies or, or things that have been, sitting in a warehouse for a century. Yeah, we're not really buying Eskimo pies either. There's like a gluten intolerance here. But the stuff we are buying, the view is that it's kind of tasting like it's been in a warehouse for a while. I don't know. Sounds like you haven't noticed that. I have myself not noticed that, but like I said, I don't. I don't necessarily consume a lot of prepared foods that others are preparing. No, this this is actually food along the lines of what you're describing, but I hear what you're saying. You're not noticing it. That's good news, right? I think so, but you know, it's it's also just a different, you know, zone over here. Yeah. I'm in in, in sector, I don't know, 14 or something, and you're in like District 9, and the District 9 aliens are there, you know. There's going to be a, a battle for the so you're saying I'm a prawn? Oh, somebody has to be, right? I mean, I, I, I think that's maybe what they're doing with the death jobs is they're trying to create the prawn so that they can have someone. The other, you have to create the other, Dan. That's an important part of this whole, you know, psychopath uh, control regime. 
I mean, if you're going to do a PSYOP, one of the basic rules of them is that you have to make people come together in groups to hate those who are outside the group. You know, that's what the American uh, military did with regard to their stories of the great frontier. You know, the Indians were the savages, the redskins. They had all sorts of names for them. And, and they were they were the feared and, and hated other. And, you know, listen, for all of the sins of mankind, and we definitely, we can look at, at Hitler, Mao, and Stalin and say, you know, bad, bad, bad. And we can look at what the Japanese were doing in China in the 30s, 40s, bad, bad, bad. But, you know, the American people... Uh, wrote a page of that, and it was early. It was. The genocide of, of Native American populations. Big, big, big deal. Actually, at the war crimes tribunals, and, you know, the ones for the Japanese and for the Germans, and prior to World War II, both the Japanese and the Germans used as justification our behavior with Manifest Destiny. That's right. And, and, think and about- when, when the South Africans were, were called on the carpet about apartheid, they pointed to the Americans' relocation of the peoples of Georgia and Tennessee and Florida to this western desert as it was thought of in the 19th century. And they pointed to the Native American Indian reservations. And they said, look, you know, apartheid is just the same thing. We're just, doing, we're just moving people around. You do it. But we get to, right? No, I don't think so. And that's really, that does get to our first topic. Because in the examination of why is this happening? Why is this happening to us, Dan? Well, you yourself said this, uh, I think, on our last podcast, or maybe the one before. Um, you know, the sins have already been committed. And there will be a reckoning. There is always a reckoning. The, 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 the scales of justice have to come into balance. And, you, you know, we cannot avoid the consequences of the American people choosing to participate in a culture of slavery and choosing to participate in a culture of genocide. And, yeah, we get some points as Americans for having gone over to Europe twice, you know, in World Wars One and Two, and, and, and trying to set things straight, sure. But at the same time, you know, there's that whole business of, nuking civilian populations, not only at the end of World War II, but for decades after World War II. And the 40s and 50s, and, and I think it was is it the 63 is the, is the uh, atmospheric testing bit, right? It is, but I, I don't think they stopped their experimentation. I just think they stopped the kind of experimentation that would be easy to trace back to them. But you're right. The official above-ground test ban was in the early 60s. Right. And so we have a long, long history of taking, you know, and, and, and when I say we, I don't mean collective guilt. I understand that I myself was not at Bikini Atoll. I didn't set off a bomb. I didn't you know, destroy the Marshall Islands. But it's interesting that they're here. There are actually so many people from the Marshall Islands in the state of Arkansas, that there are three languages that you can get everything from the state of Arkansas. You can get it in English, you can get it in Spanish, and you can get it in Marshallese. Marshallese, 
seriously, there's thousands and thousands. 12,000 people from uh, the Marshall Islands live in, in the Fayetteville area. That's kind of, that's kind of prodigious when you think about it, but, but they had to go somewhere, right? They, they obviously weren't going to go home because that was a nuclear wasteland yeah. and still is. It still is. It's it's a nuclear wasteland that is made worse through multiple forms of neglect. And the final insult was to take the lowest bidder, dig a hole on an island that then was barely above sea level, dump all the waste in the hole, and then put a big concrete dome on top. Yeah, and how does that go? <laughs> well, the concrete dome and the sea level are meeting now. So that's I'm shocked. That's not good. You know? I'm shocked that over time the waves crush the things that are between them and the dome. Yeah. And then the dome breaks up, and this is not a permanent solution. This is a slap deck. You slap uh, you know, a Band-Aid on a, on a wound, and guess what? It separates. It becomes infected. It, it becomes gangrenous. And then what? You're going to amputate? Because that's the way to that's the way to drain the swamp is you dig a deeper hole. Yeah, you dig a hole in the swamp to drain the swamp. That's what Trump was going to do, right? He's going to dig a deep uh, hole, and he's not the only one who has done this. I mean, you know, there was some serious efforts in the seventies to actually, you know, make. Well, journalism was still kind of thing. It wasn't very good at what it did. But there were actual reports. The Pentagon Papers reported on what was going on. And who was profiting from it. And the Watergate scandal caused a lot of investigative journalism to reveal that there was, in fact, a lot of corruption, both on the Republican and on the Democrat side. You know, Roger Stone, I think, was, was, was caricatured in all the president's men as this, this guy who... Uh, what was his term uh, for the dirty trick? Rat fucking. <laughs> Rat fucking, yeah. yeah. So, but we uh, did, 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 did Roger Stone, you know, turn over a new leaf and become an ethical good guy and, 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 and lead the way to a salvation of, of political integrity? No. Uh-huh. No, he's, he's still running around doing his thing. I guess he wants to bring Trump back or maybe he wants to bring somebody else you know, maybe Ted Cruz is the next guy. Make psyops great again, dude. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I've talked, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I've talked about this in a couple podcasts, and people look back upon the '60s and '70s and say, "Well, those things happened then, but they will never happen again." But if we just talk about the FBI, and you're familiar with this, right from the beginning of the FBI's history, they were infiltrating people's organizations and in many cases pushing them further and further to the edge. So this is something they were doing right from the beginning. They did through the 60s. Why do we believe they ever stopped? I I don't believe they ever stopped. And if you look at where things stood in 1916, if you look at who Woodrow Wilson was, this racist progressive Democrat who believed in income tax and the Federal Reserve to finance an endless series of wars, and he believed in getting involved in foreign wars, but he said he wouldn't. And so he believed in lying to the American people. Woodrow Wilson created 
a federal bureau of investigation with no constitutional authority. The separation of powers, the whole concept of federalism, is is it puts the the enforcement of local laws in the hands of the state and local governments. It, it's not meant to. There's not meant to be a federal police force. But Woodrow Wilson wanted one, so he created one. And this this guy who was an agent at first, I gather, J. Edgar Hoover, found out that the way to power is pretty simple. You, you get the people with political ambition and you put them in a room with a, you know, a live boy or a dead girl. And you make some photographs. Yeah. And they've been doing that all through the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s of the last century. And they're still doing it. Of course they're still doing it. The FBI is kind of a Praetorian Guard, and they have been choosing for a hundred years who gets to have political prominence and who gets to have a scandal. And, you know, it's not any way to run a free society. No, it's not. And so we are being judged. We are. We, we, we are facing judgment. And you can put this on secular terms, but I myself don't believe that there is anything secular. You know, it's interesting that, that people in the last century would say nothing is sacred, but everything is sacred. Everything was created by God. So how can anything really be secular and separate from God? But look at it from the secular perspective. There are consequences, people. Actions and choices have consequences. And the people who had those choices made them. And we are dealing with the cascading series of effects of the genocide of the Native Americans and the nuking of, of all kinds of places on Earth and, and the civilian deaths from the nuclear you know, fallout and nuclear radiation, we're dealing with the consequences of having psychopaths running the FBI and the CIA in particular, but also running all the other agencies. And I don't, you know, I, I did pick out Woodrow Wilson just then. And I said, look, you know, a racist progressive Democrat from Missouri wanted to restore the South and blah, blah, blah. But Herbert Hoover, oh, he's a good, you know, he's a good, good, good boy. He's a, he's a, he's a Republican and he's from California and he's a rep- and he's a progressive. Oh, he was a progressive Republican. Yeah, there's a w- major whitewash when it comes to Herbert Hoover because what a lot of Americans don't realize is that not only did the Depression start when Hoover was in office, but he was the first one to do the kind of New Deal stuff. He was. He wanted it. He, he thought that that was the answer. He wanted to be as interventionist as possible, and he was held back in some ways by some people in Congress. But but for the most part, he got what he wanted. Was there any reason to have Federal Aviation Administration? No, there wasn't. Is there any constitutional authority? Can you show me in the Constitution? What's the authority for the FCC? What is the what is the authority for the FCC? There is none. It's not in the Constitution. No. And the people I know who are honest people in the radio communications arena will tell you that it is quite possible to have lots of people using the same frequency in different parts of the country and different parts of the world, and and they get along. They didn't need to have licenses. Licenses were designed 
the limit power of the people to speak. Suddenly, everybody could communicate with everybody else. Can you imagine what it was like? You know, between 1900 and, let's say, 1930, when the FCC is created, anybody who wanted to could put together a system, right? And at first, you know, in the early days of radio, they, they had spark gap generators. That was how you generated a signal. But very quickly, they discovered the crystals and that you could do, you know, much more sensitive amplitude modulated radio and you can do all kinds of, of things without interfering with one another. Right. And, you know, because if you put enough power behind a spark gap, you can, you can obliterate, you can jam everybody. But that, that was a very short term part of, of, of the technology. And, 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 and the, 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 even the technological justifications for the FCC are baloney. Well, think about the ham radio thing. You need a ham radio license to use certain bands. And so there's a series of tests you have to take. But then ask yourself, what are the tests you have to take to own a mobile phone? <laughs> are there any? I, I, I think you have to show some ability to pay for it. And even in those cases, they, they will give you a free phone if you sign up to search contracts. Dude, dude, even the phones that are quote-unquote not free are heavily subsidized, heavily controlled. And they'll say to you, this is what's also funny, some of these morons will say, well, you don't need to know how radios work or engines work. But then these same morons will give you justifications for why there are multiple ham radio tests that ask you how do radios work. So it's one of these things I've been talking over with my friend here that one of the ways you can tear these kinds of evil government um, institutions apart is by looking at what they're opposed to, but also what do they subsidize? And they subsidize the fuck out of mobile networks. They do. And they used to make everybody know how to do Morse code. Part of the thing that I actually found attractive about ham radio was that, you know, you, you learned how to convert the dots and dashes into letters and numerals. And that was kind of cool. Yeah. But that's not required anymore. They they stop subsidizing that part of the deal, and now you know people are. If you don't know how, if you don't know how to make a system that you can talk over, you're probably not going to be able to communicate with very many people because hardly anyone does the dots and dashes. It's very it's a very narrow part of the community now. Do you do dots and dashes? Um, actually, I don't do them because I don't have. I my friend has a short wave and he doesn't have the key to do Morse code yet. I think I think he's planning on getting one, but no, I don't. I don't. I've heard it though when I've been tuning on short wave. I've heard a fair amount of um, both what you would call um, Morse code, but also digital stuff. There's a lot of weird and interesting digital stuff, believe it or not, on short wave. Um, oh, I believe it. No, in fact, you know, when you encrypt, it turns the communication, whatever it is, into a kind of noise pattern. And if you pick up those digital noises, you can interpret them. And, and, and that's one of the great things about software. I mean, the guys who do software are essentially very, very lazy. They don't want to have to do a lot of work. They don't want to have to take out a pencil and figure everything out. So they've created software algorithms that will take a series of dots and dashes and convert from Morse code into English. Yep. And that's great. 
especially if people are talking English when they're when they're slapping that telegraph key. Um, and you know, and and we have translating software, which is great. We don't, you know, I, I admit that when I use a translator online, to, online getter for for a while now, for a few days, and and a lot of the people there are. Um, nationalist Chinese, I, I gather, federated states of China. And and so a lot of the posts are in, in Mandarin, and I, you know, I hit translate post right there, and it, it, it free translates. And, and some of the concepts don't really come across unless, unless you know the, the you know, their, their metaphors are different from ours, their idioms are different from ours. And so when you see certain phrases, you know, about the dawn or about, uh, you know, uh, they say things differently, yeah. but you can get the sense, and that's the great thing about translation software. And that's one of the great things about automation is that you can use it for good or for evil. In the in the days of of, of, of individual translators, you know this 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 guy. I think it was. Uh, uh, it's in this. It's in this this book I've been reading. Ku uh, in Dallas. Uh, one of the people who was interviewing, um, I think it was Marina Oswald, the wife, the, the Russian wife of the Harvey Oswald. You know, he was, he was, he was inaccurately translating things. So people were asking her questions. He was giving the answers that the CIA wanted to go out. And, and, and those were not the words that, that were coming out of her in Russia, but he was, he was you know, taking advantage of the situation. He was put in that position by people who who went and collected him from his home in government cars hours before the assassination took place. Yeah, they knew. They knew not only what they were going to do to kill Kennedy, but they knew what they were going to do to cover it up. So Here we are. So if and this... there are consequences to that. The mm. American people didn't rise up in 1963. In 64, when they knew, they knew that they were being lied to and they didn't tear apart the media institutions then. They knew that they were being lied to and they didn't stop the CIA. And, 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 and the, the efforts to reform the CIA and the FBI in the 1970s were hamstrung and, and were emasculated. They chopped the balls off of Frank Church's committee. And they put in place these 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 House and Senate Oversight Committees of the Intelligence Community. And all that did was it created a small number of very, very powerful representatives and senators, Diane Feinstein and others like her, who have an enormous amount of power and have been in power ever since they got on those committees. Well, that's this is do they, do they do they hold back? Do they yeah. do they do they prevent the assassinations? Do they prevent the corruption? No, they they wallow in it. Yeah, they have blood on their chins, man. Yeah, well, that's one of the things though um, that people just don't get about these institutions while they still exist. I my my personal belief, and I can't prove it, is that the federal government is on the verge of collapse. But while it exists. These institutions, like the FBI, are extremely powerful, and they attract people like the senators and the congressmen, just like the rings of power, you know, in the Lord of the Rings. It's one of those things where it's, if you have the ring of power, you can do anything. But probably being able to do anything is, is kind of corrupting, don't you think? 
Well, it's that's certainly the way it is in the storybooks. In the Lord of the Rings, even the the the, the nice young hobbits who are good, 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 get corrupted by having their hands on the ring and having it having all of the access to that power all the time. In the darkness binds them. It binds them to the evil from which it came. And you can't, you know, you look at the story and it's sad. You know, Galadriel and all of the all of the elves who touched their rings end up going across the sea into the West, which is a metaphor for, you know, going into the next life. And Frodo and Bilbo, all the other heroes of the stories, you know, go into the West because they can't stand the burden of the world they're in. And and so and, and this is you know, this is our topic was the final exam. People are being given their final exam now. You know, you're having to look at what's happening, not just individually, not just your life, but the lives of the people who came before you, the institutions that have been created and are coming to an end. And God is is bringing about the reckoning. And it's just, it's, it's, it's merciful. And it is entirely appropriate. Judgment has come, and this is this is this is the transition. This is the tribulation. We have to suffer for the choices that have already been taken. You can't get out of this. What we're in is a mess, yeah. and there's no way out except to go through. We have to go through this mess, and we we are now taking the choices. In the final exam, in, in your in your high school and your college classes, when you had your final exam, it was a test of your knowledge, and it was a test of your ability to think. It was a test, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not anymore. They probably don't even bother with final exams. Since Stanford and these other stupid, you know, elite institutions, so-called, don't even, don't even ask for uh, standardized testing to, to get admitted. I'm sure they're... Yeah, undoing this whole concept of, of a final exam, but back in my day, a final exam meant that you were you were being tested on your preparedness, understanding of material, and your understanding of how to apply it to problems that you were given that were not ones that you had seen before. Well, that sounds like what we're going through. Yeah. So, and what is the outcome of a final exam? Well, you get your final grade. That's what you get. That then, then you get to go on from there and see what else you can do. And I don't think this is the end of the world. I don't think the world is going to come to an end. God made earth to be occupied. And God made mankind to occupy the earth. We're being judged and we're being tested to see how we perform. But, but I mean, fair enough, Jim. You know, I don't think the world's coming to an end either. But there are times in human history that are so difficult that a rational person could accidentally believe the world is ending. Those and times in are... some ways, the world that we knew hasn't. Yeah. And, and I don't think, in terms of consequences, it's like a myriad of consequences. Um, you had a question, if we can move on to the next topic, you had a question. Are humans responsible for attracting the dark energy? That's a really good question, don't you think? How would you answer that? Well, I'll tell you what. It depends upon what you mean by dark energy. Like a physicist might say, 
well, Dan, dark energy is the theoretically in that block. That's not what you mean. I think you mean dark spiritual energy, don't you? That's correct. I would say we are. I mean, I know I've said this before and it's been true in my own life. If you move just an inch closer to Jesus, you do end up moving thousands of miles away from evil and Satan. But what's sad is that almost the opposite is true. It doesn't take much sin to pull the demons in, to pull in that dark energy. It doesn't take much in terms of our behavior. And so I struggle with that every day. I struggle with my sins just like you do. If I look at the world since 2020, and specifically the choices that people in power made, and to this day I don't know why. I have theories, but I don't know why they made those choices. But they made the choice to subject billions of people, and at least hundreds of millions of people, but probably billions of people, to trauma-based mind control. And I, and for the life of me, I don't see anything that you do with that that's good or positive or leads to anything constructive, even if you're a fucking Bond villain. Even if you're a fucking Bond villain, Dr. No doesn't get what he wants by making everyone go fucking it, you know, insane. So when I think about that, I think, oh my God, that's an example of attracting dark energy in the form of tsunami, Jim. Sure, sure. But, you know, you and I have talked about other instances of this going back into, I think, what was it? Was it the 20s or 30s? Or when was this Aleister Crowley and, I want to say Jack Parsons? But is that well, right? Aleister Crowley was active in the early 20th century. Jack Parsons was active in the 30s and 40s. And, and then I think he died kind of young. I don't really know. I, I don't know a lot about Jack Parsons' bio, biography, except to know but he that, was the Jet Propulsion Lab. Yes, guy, right? he was the Jet Propulsion and, Lab. And, 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 and we talked about them yeah. uh, opening a portal and bringing through this dark yeah. spirit of Hilarion. Right. And the thing is, I don't really know. To me, in terms of conjecture, I don't really know for certain where I would stand vis-a-vis -vis that. I, I think that you probably don't need the Large Hadron Collider to pull dark energy into the world. But what, uh -huh. they've, what they've done with this monkey herpes and race war and all the other nonsense they've dumped on us is they have poured dark energy on the American people. Right, yeah. and that's happening now. But I would also say that we have, we have, we have attracted, if, if, as I understand it, the universe has darkness and light, as well as the pure light of God, as well as the light of God, which shines through every soul, and therefore, if you turn towards God, you're seeing that light of goodness, and if you turn away, you're looking into your own shadow, and that's dark, and that lets in the darkness from the other side. I think all necromancy, all things having to do with death, and with, with, with profiting from death in some way, have a dark spiritual energy that we have, for hundreds of years, been responsible for bringing into our world. And that would include the genocide of the Native Americans in the 19th and 20th centuries. It would include the death camps in the Soviet Union funded by Wall Street and death camps in Hitler's Germany funded by Wall Street and by the British royal family. All of these things, you know, that, that have brought power to a small coterie of really sick, twisted people like Klaus Schwab and Alan Dulles 
all of all of this all it comes out of this 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 death stuff the 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 uh the death jabs i gather include uh tissue from aborted fetuses and that's millions and millions of deaths every year around the world people have you know and and i don't want to come down on the on the on the on the people who have chosen to have an abortion in in a in, in a judgmental way because it's not for me to judge. They they have to face a judge much greater than me, and I don't I don't need to you know I don't need to judge them for that. Right. But I'm aware of it. I'm aware that, that there's a living, there's a life involved that that is cast aside and terminated, and that's a choice. And if you choose that, it opens up darkness. And if someone else profits from that, as Planned Parenthood and other groups have profited from the sale of fetal tissue, aborted fetal tissue, you know, killed babies, there's a lot of darkness there. Yeah. If you look at the darkness and the people who are profiting from it, there's a lot of darkness. Well, and that has consequences and I think yeah. those consequences come out of human choice. Well, and the other thing, too, is that these crooked psyops, um, and I remember September of 2019, before the monkey herpes hit, I remember telling a friend of mine after church, I said, within a few months, you'll live in a time where the, where the church of our Lord will be forced underground. I didn't know whether, you know, whether they were going to do monkey herpes bullshit. I just sensed that the church, as I'd come to briefly know it, was going to quickly end. And one of the, the buttresses, and I'm talking about the true church. I'm not talking about arena churches or, or other institutions that claim to be. I mean the true church that is somewhere out there when two or more are gathered in the name of Christ. But the true church is a buttress against darkness. And so if you're going to want to, you know, use dark energy against people, one way to do it is to shut down one of their vehicles, shared prayer, shared worship, to shut it down. And I, I would say effectively, as far as I'm concerned, they have. There might be a few churches here and there. I hear stories here and there. But a lot of the churches have adopted the PSYOP. They've adopted the lies. And by gotcha. doing so, again, people, you know, our next topic deals with revelations. But the book of Revelation starts out with letters to the churches. People need to read those letters. Okay, those letters are very easy to read, and and those letters could have been written in 2020, except for right. they would have been harsher. That's right, and and those letters would have been written by Saint John in 1962 or whenever it was that they had this Vatican II to the Church in Rome, and he would have said, "Look, what you're doing is is you're saying that the the traditions." of the Eucharist and the traditions of the Holy Mass where the priest faces the crucifix and prays to God are being altered and changed in a bad way when you have the priest turn his back on God to face the parishioners. Yeah. And when you take the, the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist and the priest doesn't put that directly into the mouth of the participant but puts it in her hand, what is that? What are you doing? You're taking away the sacrifice. And they're now, you know, the church in Rome is now saying that the traditional mass can no longer be said anywhere. 
This used to be something that they were tolerating. The, the, the two, the traditional mass and the Novo Ordo mass were, were said in some places, you know, one way and in some places the other. And it was all, everything's fine. Everybody's getting along all through the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and all through the first part of the century. And then Francis comes and says, no, we have to stop that. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so what I'm saying is, is, is that, yes, that that church is corrupted. Anybody who looks at that church will say, well, yeah. they, you know, they've got priests yeah. buggering altar boys, and then instead of being punished, the church simply transfers them to some other place so that they're, they're, they're protected from prosecution. What is that? That's evil. That's what that is. I think, and again, I may be more um, critical of the Catholic Church because I was raised Catholic. And I didn't see huge abuses, but I saw the little ones that everybody sees if they're Catholic. And from studying history, assuming the history I was taught was true, I've never really been a fan of the Catholic Church at all. I don't think there was ever a time when they weren't using Jesus against Jesus. I think there have been people in the Catholic Church that are worth a, that are worth note. And I think there, there have been people in that history who tried to do the right thing. But the institution of the church is Roman. And, you know, it's proving itself to be Roman through its behavior. You know, it's funny. The Catholic Church fought a series of wars over 200 fucking years. A series of wars, the last of which the Thirty Years' War killed a whole bunch of people in Europe. And they did so over issues that you just described. So while I agree with you, once again, they're doing bullshit, but that was bullshit too, Jim. That's right. It was. The whole fight over the Protestant Reformation was evil and darkness. And the Spanish Inquisition was darkness in that the people who turned in their neighbors got to share in the loot of the people they turned in for being secret Jews or for being witches or for being idolaters in this way or that way. All of this was done to profit the people who then took the, the estates of those who were suddenly facing the Inquisition and put to the question. And and, and, and so it's a real horror show of, of dark energy, and it goes back a long way. And one of the outcomes of the Thirty Years' War is the Peace of Westphalia, which which we might refer to as the you know, the, the conventions on warfare, which led to a long series of treaties called the Geneva Conventions because they kept going back to Geneva to have these meetings. Yeah. And and we have traditions about what is and is not allowed in warfare, and all of that's been thrown on the, on the, on the bonfire. There are no rules anymore. The, the, the people who, who try to... to to you know, hold anyone to the rules of warfare find out that the CIA doesn't play that. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know what to say. I, as a former Catholic, I believe to this day there are definitely Catholics who are Christians, and I believe there are priests who try to teach, um, or try to teach, and definitely the word teach is appropriate, who try to minister to their flock in a Christian way. But I stick to it. The institution of the Catholic Church is, in my opinion, incurably corrupt. The best thing that they could do for Christianity would be to cease to exist. I don't mean the Catholics who meet together as Christians keep meeting together. But you don't need the Pope to tell you anything about God that you can't find out on your own. You don't. I think that's true. And I think that's, in fact, what, what Jesus said. 
He said, you know, what, what are the rules for getting into habit? Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Those are the things you have to do. Those are your obligations. And you can do those without a priest. And, you know, you can, do, you can even do them without a Bible. You can just do those things and that'll work. But he also said, because I think Christ understood the power of who and what we are, we, you know, I'm a kind of a hermit, but even I'll accept this. He also pointed out that part of having a church is having two or more people. And one of the things that happened in 2020, just to kind of close out this conversation around dark energy, is they really did shut down traditional worship almost completely. And in many ways, they marred it. So even though there are churches opening up and some people wear masks and some people don't, they really did mar the churches in such a way that they pushed people out and they pushed people away from faith. I mean, here's the thing. Whether it's the priest or the journalist or, you know, the quote-unquote lawyer, there are people in our quote-unquote enlightenment history, we're told they're there to protect us. The church will bring you in to shelter you. The lawyer will defend you before the state. The journalist will discover the truth. But all of that failed in 2020. All of it. That's right. The ACLU, where are they? They, they are content with, with the extent to which everyone is being forced to accept gender neutrality and, and transgenderism. And they don't care to pursue any of the injustice that they see. And Matt Hentoff warned of this turn of this century, 2003 through 2006. He tried to, to keep the ACLU in line with civil liberties. And the terrible people who were the executive director and others on the board forced him out and forced out the traditional you know, protection that the ACLU was trying to, to afford people. And, and, you know, there are other uh, legal organizations that are better than the ACLU that have cropped up, but they don't have the same depth of experience. And, and so that's been corrupted. And journalism was corrupted a long time ago. I mean, you know, the Hearst newspapers, you know, wanted a war. So they lied about the USS Maine. You know, it did blow up in Havana Harbor. There's no question of that. It wasn't blown up by the Spanish. Yeah. And they got their war. And then Teddy Roosevelt got to ride up San Juan Hill. Woohoo! Yeah. And then, and if you read the speeches of Teddy Roosevelt, he was a dark, racist, progressive. Fuck. I mean, look at the things he said about the Filipino people. He said they're not, they're not suited to governing themselves. They have to be forced into a, a hierarchy that we control because they are, well, inferior. I remember, yeah, yeah, I remember a long time ago when I was an undergraduate back in the early 90s reading these um, records of the hearings, there, or rather debates. There were debates in the Senate and the Congress over the outcomes of the Spanish-American War. And there were people who were saying, why are we building an empire? You know, why, you know, why are we doing this? There, there were voices. It's just that those... Go ahead. If you, if, you, if you look at The Wizard of Oz, the first book, and even the first 16 books written by L. Frank Baum himself, uh, who, are, who are these people in the far west 
these these the the, the yellow winkies, those were Filipinos. Yeah. Now, it's an allegory about the goodness of silver and the yellow brick road will lead you to a place of wizardry and weirdness. And it's a very interesting allegory. Like like the Tolkien novels, it's a very interesting allegory about our world. And I don't mean the allegory of he actually had a, a moral lesson he was trying to convey and you have to read for that. No, it, it's, it's an allegory in the sense that, as, as Tolkien points out in his preface to The Lord of the Rings, that the, 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 the reader is free to, 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 to find the allegory himself and say, okay, I say that the Ring of Power represents political power and therefore destroying the ring is the only way to be free and to free the world of its domination. I see that. I, I create that. And if Tolkien wrote a whole bunch of things that support that, well, great. And if there's some things in his book that don't support that, well, you know, I can pass on and, and, still, and still come to my own conclusions because I'm the reader and I have freedom. And that is one of the really interesting questions that I have about this whole PSYOP and chemical warfare now it's biological war they're putting genetic code into people outside the cell nucleus they're putting in mrna yeah even even the guy who invented the technology is like well, why are they doing this this is you don't need to do this this isn't how you you fight this yeah. if there were an illness you know it, it costs pennies to get the hydro uh the, the quinine derivatives it's, it's, it's cheap to fight it if it's a cold, if it's a flu, you know, you can get well from it without putting, you know, this, this, this genetic technology. And why do you do biological warfare, Dan? Well, I got to say, when I was in the service, they said you don't do biological warfare. And, they had, and there are a lot of good reasons why. Um, well, one of them is, is that you can't point it like you can point a rifle. No, you can't. So if it affects anybody, it affects everybody. And that means it affects the people who fired the weapon as well. So why would you do that? Well, you know, maybe because you're crazy. I don't know. Maybe because you're ridden by demons who want to terrorize mankind. Okay. Yeah, the question of why keeps me up at night, Jim, because like I said, even if you thought they were Bond villains, it all looks too stupid to be this stupid, and it all looks too crazy to be this crazy. As far as the vaccination goes, um, I respect your opinion. I have no firsthand evidence about any of the vaccination stories as far as uh, people getting sick and dying. I have second and third hand um, people telling me they know somebody that took the vaccine, you know, vaccination and something bad happened. But I have no absolutely trustworthy evidence at this point that even the vaccination rhetoric is real. And I'll add this point, too. I believe they control the media. So if they're, if they're showing you pictures of people getting sick from vaccinations, if they're talking about soccer players dropping dead, there's a reason for that, too. And I think it's the same reason why they tell you about Epstein, but nothing fucking happens. It is to keep you angry, confused, sad, and most importantly, immobilized. Right. They, they have convicted Ghislaine Maxwell, but have they even begun investigating, let alone indicting people like Prince Andrew and Bill Gates and others who took the flights in Japan? 
No, they're all acting Heather's like... Heather's Island? Jim, they're all acting like there's not going to be any consequences. And it could be an act. It could be complete farce, and they could be deluded. But they're acting as if they can do all these things and nothing will happen. And that shows a kind of tone deafness to history unless they know something we don't know. Because from my perspective, in a few months, a lot of these people are going to end up like Mussolini and his mistress. They're going to end up at a Chevron someplace, upside down, with their neck slit. If we keep going down this road, people are not just going to lose it, but they're going to go so crazy, so ape shit, it's going to blow people's minds. So the question is, what do they fucking know that we don't know, Jim? And I don't want to spend any time on that because I spend too much time on it already because it's just a question that doesn't have an answer. But honestly, dude, none of this makes sense for a reset. None of this makes sense for the New World Order. They had the power, Jim. How the fuck do you turn the switch on human civilization if you don't have the fucking power? You don't. You don't. So they had the power. If you have the power, you're sitting at the top of the food chain. You're sitting at the top of the pyramid of all of the luxuries and all of the things that they could ever want. And they had even begun to... You know, strip the middle class by you know, demonetizing gold in the 1971 August of 1971 event, and they they've gone to this you know this terrible structure where a very very small number of people get trillions of dollars, and everybody else, the bottom 90 percent, gets trillions of dollars, but they're splitting it up a lot a lot well, more. I, I think and, it's yeah, it's worse than that. And, but yeah. But, I mean, if, if you could go on grifting forever, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? you would. Right. Because I, I looked around in the, two th the 2000s, and especially after 2010, I looked around my neighborhoods where I lived, and it looked like most of the people I knew were just struggling just to get by. Even the ones that seemed like they had money were on, a were on, a, were on one of those hamster wheels. I don't see any additional wealth that they could feasibly steal. You know, people can say, well, they could hire cops. They could hire all kinds of cops. But you still got to pay the fucking cops. And as far as the super robots go, color color me unafraid, Jim. Now, maybe because I've worked <laughs> around these technology people. But, yeah, I'm not afraid of the super robots. So there is nothing to take or steal at this point. It's all pretty much been stolen. And even if there was a little bit left, there's no way to get it. Oh. Right. And, and, and so the question is, you know, we had things rolling along, producing wealth and, you know, doing all of this stuff in 2018 and 2019. And why hit the off switch? There, 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 there must be some reason for it. But we were going to go on to this uh, topic of, of uh, chapter 18 in Revelation. Yeah, chapter 18. So what is the book of Revelation? I think we should probably give the, the listeners some backstory here. There was a guy who was asked by Jesus to tarry, and that guy was named John. And uh, you can read about him in the Gospels. And uh, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the last things he did was he told his mother to behold her son, and pointed at John, and he told John to behold his mother, and pointed at Mother Mary, and they became very good friends, and John lived a long time, and one of the books that John wrote was the Gospel of St. John, 
and he wrote some letters which appear in the Bible. And he also wrote, while he was on the island of Patmos, he was given a vision. And he wrote some some parts of that vision were directions from Jesus to the churches. There are letters at the beginning of Revelation. But by the time you get to the 18th chapter, it's it's pretty much about the vision. The vision of the end times, what's coming. And one of the things that's coming is that somewhere in the future that John was shown, which is, I believe, our present, there is a city that dominates world trade. And it is known in this book of Revelation as Great Babylon, Mystery Babylon. And let's read, uh, do you mind if I read? It's, it's not terribly long. It's no, go ahead. Words. I was going to do it, but you can too. Go ahead. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. He cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine past of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquity. Reward her, even as she rewarded you, and double unto her. Double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth, who have committed fornication, and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her, when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thy and wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors, ointments, frankincense, wine and oil and fine flour 
and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee. And thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what, what city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Revelation 18. And that, uh, and that is very powerful, strong stuff. And you have to ask yourself, you know, when God is telling St. John to write these words down, what, what city is envisioned? Is it, is it the city that uses its currency to cheat every other nation on earth? Is it Washington, D.C.? Is it New York City? Is it London? Is it Rome? All of these are cities that I think have the same basic character, the same basic evil underpinning. It could be all the above. I mean, when it comes to understanding yes. the Bible, when he's talking about Babylon, he could be talking about every single city on earth. He could be talking about all of the cities that have the same character. That's right. And a lot yeah. of them do, dude. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. we're, we're especially bad, but the planet is infested with cities of evil people. Um, and it's not it's not the little tiny towns in the mountains like Roosevelt, Utah or Eureka Springs, Arkansas. 
it is places like Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles, San Diego, and London that have this character. And they are predominantly coastal cities. So if a millstone is cast into the sea, you know, a, a giant stone thrown into the ocean, you know, a tsunami could wash clean their shores. But there's also the implication that they will be burning, that the great Babylon will be on fire. And when it talks at the end there, that last uh, two verses, at the end of verse 23, so this is Revelation chapter 18, yeah. verse 23. Your merchants were the most important people, and this is a different version than you're reading, but your merchants were the most world's most important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. Right, and and in the and the and the and the original Greek, because uh, as we are well aware, Saint John was not acquainted at the time with the English language. He wrote in Aramaic, or he wrote in Greek, and he was certainly because the Romans were all around, and you know he was in Roman culture. He was aware of the Latin language, but he did not speak English. So when the word, thy sorceries, by thy sorceries were all nations deceived, and what's your version say, by thy magic spells? Yeah, but I think it kind of means about the same thing in the vernacular, you know. I, I believe that if you look in Strong's Concordance, which I, you know, I, I, I welcome you to do, you know, get online and do the Strong's Concordance, but, um, and, the, and the listeners should certainly do this, but look up that word in that position, sorcery. I believe it's pharmacaeus. Right. And that is the word that we have for pharmacies that comes from the same Greek root, pharmacaeus. And if the pharmacy, the pharmaceutical industry is, is involved in this deceiving of everyone with this, this jab, I don't know what is in it. Well, I but think they it, are no, putting no. something in Listen, Jim, here's the deal. What we can both agree upon is the pharmaceutical companies are deceiving people. And so when you read this, the, you know, you could say, yes, the pharmaceutical companies are deceiving the nations of the earth. They are. And, they're, and they are part of a complex that we are aware of and have been aware of for some time. And Dwight David Eisenhower, in his farewell address to the nation in 1961, before he stopped being president and before John F. Kennedy was inaugurated, said some very important things. And in his farewell address, he said that a military industrial complex has been created to combat the, you know, the, the, the menace of communism, but it has taken upon itself unwarranted power and it has to be washed carefully because it'll get out of hand. And people today talk about, because the too big to fail thing kind of got everybody's attention, right? Back in 2009, people noticed that General Motors and all of the big banks got bailed out in big ways. And so there was this concept of a military industrial financial cartel. And I'm telling you, and you know this, that there's a pharmaceutical branch of the military, industrial, financial, pharmaceutical cartel. It's well, a big I mean, club, yeah, and we're not in it. You're not in it. Uh, Jim, I worked in healthcare informatics for about six years, which represents a fair portion of my time as a programmer. And what I can tell you 
is that the entire healthcare industrial complex is as bad, at least in terms of scale, as the military industrial complex. It is that bad. And you're not, you're not, the patient is not the priority of the hospital system. The patient is a vehicle to get paid. Um, right. That's how that works. And it used to be back in the day, back in the 19th century, say, when it was legal to go to your local corner drugstore and ask the guy behind the counter to sell you some cocaine, some heroin, some laudanum, which is opium mixed with alcohol, or some marijuana. You know, it was perfectly legal. People had their own money. And when they went to see a doctor, they paid the doctor with their own money. And so the doctor kind of had to pay attention. The bedside manner was developed to, to give some respect. I just t- today, just this morning, read about a woman who went to see her doctor. And her doctor gave her a very, very strong uh, you know, indication that she should take the jab and wouldn't even look her in the eye while she was, while, while, while all she was saying, you have to take this jab. It's really important. It's very important. And, and, and she, she took the jab and she, she got boosted a few months later. And, and she's now regretting that. She has, you know, uh, jab remorse, buyer's remorse. Ah. But she isn't really the buyer because the pharmaceutical company paid that doctor. Well, but here's the and thing. And the government yeah. paid that doctor. Yeah. And, the, and the patient yeah. no longer pays the doctor. No. Ooh. Well, that's bad. That is bad. Well, here's what I would also say as far as taking the jab goes. A lot of people in 2020, late 20, early 2021, gave me a lot of really interesting and crooked excuses as to why they were going to take the jab, even though they knew it was probably bullshit. Because I told people more than a year ago, it's it's either poison or placebo. It's one or the other. But even if it's placebo, that doesn't mean that there's zero risk when some random idiot sticks a metal spike into your arm. So even if it's placebo, some percentage of people will get killed just by a fucking placebo at that scale. So whatever it is, you have a right to say no. But people feel captured. They can't even imagine a world where they don't have health insurance. They can't imagine a world where they they don't go to a doctor every time they feel sick. They can't imagine a world where you could find in nature's pharmacy just about everything you would need instead of going to the devil's pharmacy. They can't imagine that world. That's right. And God created the heaven and the earth. And God created all of the plants and all of the animals. It's right there in the Bible. You can read about it. And it's clear that God wants us to be happy and healthy and put lots of plants and he put healing spring waters all over the world. And if you want, you can go and find out which things are edible and which things treat which conditions, because all of this knowledge has been passed down from generation to generation for, I believe, at least thousands of years, probably tens of thousands of years, arguably hundreds of thousands of years. And some people have even made persuasive arguments that show that there may be evidence of human civilizations on Earth billions of years ago. Billions of years ago. And we just haven't found all of the evidence, the archaeological evidence has been pushing back further and further into the past. People in the archaeological community now reasonably accept that there were some modern humans somewhere on Earth in some places 
400,000 years ago. Yeah. And we have found evidence recently, recently, like just this, just this last year, of, uh, of, of a city, a community, 16,500 years old. That, you know, that evidence was, was high enough in the mountains of Turkey that it, it survived when all of the terrible things happened that ended the younger dryads. Well, what I'm saying is simply that, that God has all of this stuff out there in God's world where you can get healed. And you don't need some guy in a costume in a lab coat carrying a stethoscope to tell you that he's a doctor and to sign papers and to be paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year because he's licensed because the government beats up on anybody who would compete with him. And, and, and this is not, none of this is good people. You got to get out of this whole system. And, and, and that is what Jesus is saying to St. John in chapter 18. He's saying that, that, you know, you have to get out of Babylon. I feel like, I feel like that passage is saying on a one level, get the fuck out of the cities. It is. It's saying that very, very clearly. And that's part of the reason why, you know, looking at the, the nature of great Babylon, trying to say, well, all you have to do is leave the city of London. If you are not in the city of London, you'll be fine. No, that's not really what it's saying. It's kind of saying that all nations are deceived by all of this stuff. And the blood of all that were slain upon the earth is found in these cities, in Great Babylon. And yeah, yeah, so so God calls his people, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Gosh, that sounds very, very clear to me in, in 2022 Bob Limbach. I can say for, for a certainty that there are plagues in the cities, and if you walk down the streets of San Francisco and you don't tread on the human feces, you should be able to discern with your own eyes that there are plagues. And you might want to come out of there. Come out. Come well, out. that kind of brings us to our last topic, and that is your project in Ozarkia, what you're working on. You know, I did a podcast a couple a couple in the last day, but in one of them I I pointed out to people that, that there are people who are trying to operate in such a way that they're looking towards the future. And, and you're one of those folks, I think, who is looking towards the future and trying to do something that can help people. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I appreciate that very much, Dan. And, and I've listened to some of your other recent podcasts, and, I, and I'm grateful for you sharing the word about it. And one of the things that, you know, at the end of some of your podcasts, you mentioned that people can contribute money and that that is welcome. And I would like to... Uh, mention that on behalf of the Ozarkia project, that we need to bring people here and we need to also bring material things and systems and we are organizing because I believe that this is one of the places that has been shown, one of the regions in the United States that has been shown to be kind of a safe haven for the difficult times that we're in. If you're going to come out of the cities, where are you going to go? 
And uh, there were men who were led by the Holy Spirit entirely who met in Chicago in the last century, in the 20th century, five of them, each of which, each of whom had been shown a different place in the United States where people should go. And, you know, Kalispell, Montana area is one of them, and the area of, of western Colorado and, uh, you know, Utah uh, is another area where, where people were to be led, and the Ozarks here in Missouri and Arkansas were a third, and there's one in the uh, in, in Appalachia, and there's one in the far northeast uh, across the top of Vermont and New Hampshire and part of Maine. Um, so there are these there are these areas where uh, if you're coming out of Great Babylon, maybe you should go to one of these areas. And we have. I have been brought here. I didn't necessarily think of this as a good idea myself. And it happens that over the course of the last you know, six decades, I have been to all of those places. I've been to Glacier National Park in both uh, the U.S. and Canada. I've, I've been to the, that part of Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. I've been to Appalachia around uh, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee. I've been to this part and, and to the place where you are and to Kalispell and, and you know, all of these places. Uh, I, I have paper maps for all of them in my, in my car, in a, in a bag, in a blue bag full of paper maps and gazetteers. And so, um, we had a meeting on the 15th of last month and there were about 18 people who came and visited us and all had food together. We shared our experiences and we talked about why we were here and every single one of us had a different story about having been told to come here, having been elsewhere and been told to get here. Uh, and so there are a lot of people who have been brought here. And what are we trying to accomplish? What I'd like to summarize it as is I like to say that we're building a free country. Because what's, what's happening now is going to destroy Great Babylon. And it is going to destroy institutions that people have come to understand and feel comfortable with, think is part of their day-to-day -day existence. And all of that's going away. But the people who survive are going to need to be somewhere, and they're going to need what people need. What do people need, Dan? Well, they absolutely you say this at the end of every podcast that you tell me. <laughs> Cocaine, liquor, and hookahs. That's right. <laughs> we need that, and I want some. No. I like it. I like it. No, the ladies, food, I, I want know, the ladies. You know, Come on, yeah, send them. You know. It's food, water, shelter. It's what we've always basically needed. Some kind of shelter. We need healthy, nutritious food. We need water. And I would even add we need air we can breathe. But we need those things. Um, they're not Right, you know. right. And it's not automatic. And so if, if, you, if you want, you know, to come to a place that has a lot of springs, you know, do some research on the Ozarks. 
springs are everywhere around here, and Eureka Springs is known for healing waters. A lot of different springs and very great miracles of healing have been reported in different places. Um, and, you know, there's lots and lots of bounty of the land. There's lots of orchards, lots of, of the, you know, pastures where people are growing chickens, ducks, geese, pigs, sheep and goats, cows. There's lots and lots of stuff here. And there's lots and lots of mountains. So we have terrain. And terrain is important, right? You were in the military. Tell us about terrain. Well, terrain is important for the simple fact that depending upon the terrain, you either have an easily defensible position or an easily attacked position. And I haven't spent a lot of time in the Ozarks, but from what you've told me, it's a fairly hilly country. It's broken terrain. That's not easy for large maneuver forces. So if you're worried about big giant armies rolling over the plains, that won't happen probably in the Ozarks. It won't happen as easily as it would on some places like the Great Plains of Kansas and Nebraska. And uh, you have that up there in in Colorado and Utah. And they have that up in there in Kalispell, Montana. Actually, there's a lot of broken, there's broken terrain here. A lot of it. And there's a lot of broken terrain in the Appalachians in the Kentucky, Tennessee area. And they have a lot of broken terrain up in northern Vermont, northern yeah. New Hampshire, and northern, well, eastern, uh, uh, sorry, western Maine. It's hard, to, it's hard to put the map together in my head sometimes. But, but yeah, the, the terrain issue seems to be consistent among all these five places that, you know, people should get up into the hills. And it's, it's, it's my thought that there is yet another generation of warfare that can be contemplated. And in fourth generational warfare, we don't hold territory. We hold together a group of people who can resist the enemy. And that means that, that, that mobility is important. And terrain helps with mobility because if you're being chased, you want to be able to hunker down someplace and let the enemy go past you. And then maybe get behind it, but maybe just, you know, go the other way. And you also want to be able to use terrain to hide from satellites, hide from drones that are flying overhead. There's a lot of reasons to want terrain. Wooded terrain is good. And uh, because woods are good, they have lots of useful things. Like you can uh, burn the wood for heat. That's nice in the winter. And also you can, you know, uh, find herbs and mushrooms in the woods. But most importantly, you know, you have cover from above. And there are a lot of satellites and aerial surveillance tools that are being used in warfare and have been for quite a little while now. So these are important concepts. And I I really think that people should invite themselves to go visit some of these areas and, and look around and decide what you can do, what you can bring. And if you can't, who would you send among your family members? Who would you send into safety? If you can't bring yourself to leave Great Babylon because, well, I'm here in the city and we're making so much money. We're doing all these important things. Okay, I, I get it. I, I don't necessarily agree with it. But if that's that's the case, are, are there children in your family that you would like to send into a safe zone? Are there people that you know, cousins or neighbors, who really would benefit from getting out. Maybe you should help them get out. Maybe that's what you should be thinking about as you're still there producing. That's great. But if you're producing 
on the Death Star, and you're a productive member of society, you're still being there when Alderaan gets blown up. A lot of people haven't really even thought about this, but if you're like a family where there are children, people don't understand that dying of thirst is bad, but dying of hunger is terrible. And listening to your kids scream and cry at night because they haven't eaten in a month, that's pretty terrible. And the problem isn't just your own kids, but all the other hundreds of thousands of families in your city. And, you know, people will say things like, well, family people are good people. Listen, families stay together. So if somebody's kids are dying of starvation, maybe some of them try to work with their neighbors. A lot of them that have been raised by the public schools and the media, they're just going to go steal from their neighbors. A lot of people haven't thought too deeply on that. And the other thing is this. People say to themselves, and I talked about this yesterday, well, Dan, after the blackout, I'll head out two or three weeks later. Well, you and hundreds of thousands of other people, and the roads will immediately become traffic jams, and then that whole plan is over. That's right, and people need to be thinking much more strategically. And strategically, relocation, I think, is the name of a book by, and I want to say it's Joel Scalzi. It is, it it is, it is. And Skousen is a is a family of people of the Mormon persuasion, and they they follow God's will that way, and God bless them. And Skousen talks about some of these issues, and he says, "Look, supposing you're in a city in the middle, like Tulsa, where do you go?" Well, one of the things you want to do when you leave Tulsa is you want to go to the nearest water, because people who are on foot will stop where the nearest big water is. If that's a river, if that's a lake, whatever it is, when you're leaving, in whatever direction you've chosen, go past that first water. Because a lot of the people who are coming out of the cities will stop where there's water because they can fish, they can get some food, they can get water, and they can bathe, and they can clean their laundry, and so people will stay there for a while. And you want to go past and further out, further away from where the nearest water is. And with Los Angeles, let me tell you, that's, that's a trek, because a lot of Los Angeles is very dry when you leave Los Angeles. When you leave Los Angeles, you should be seriously thinking about getting out of the rain shadows of the Sierra Nevadas and the Rockies, because you're going to want water, and you're going to want to be you know, away from there. So, you know, the western slope of Colorado is the first place the closest to San Diego and Los Angeles. You guys might want to think about getting ready. And you might want to think about not being there when all of the bad stuff goes down because it's coming. It, well, it I, is. I, yeah, honestly, Jim, that's what I've been telling people too is that if you wait until that, that next blackout where, where, the, where the power isn't going to come back on, it's kind of too late. In a lot of ways, you know, people like where I'm at right now, we have deserts to the east and west and south, and we have mountains to the north. And if a few bridges went out, yeah, there are people who are hardcore who could make it here. But the people who are hardcore are already probably someplace they need to be. So the average everyday Los Angeles person with a fanny pack and maybe a backpack and a couple little quarts of water, I don't know how far they're going to get, Jim. Really? Well, I, I I can tell you that it's tough, and there are stories you can read about Kit Carson going across the great southwestern desert and spending like three days without water because he got on his horse and he just didn't 
it didn't have a canteen in the 1820s and 1830s whenever Kit Carson was 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 doing this stuff. But you know, you go for a long way, and you need water. And if you're on horseback, your horse needs water, and and then you need food. And there's a lot of areas where that's not going to be possible. There's parts of the you remember our, our 2017 trip across the great Nevada desert yeah, yeah, yeah. on Interstate 80. Yeah. And there's not only long distances to travel, which on foot are much more intimidating. You know, take your Google Maps and, and when it says directions, get directions, not just hit start. And then pick out by foot. Choose walking and see how many days it tells you to get from Sacramento to Denver. It's a long, long time. It's not easy. And while you're leaving California to go through Nevada, they have all those really interesting mule deer crossing. That's right. They have built artificial checkpoints in the middle of the desert multiple places so that they can stop the traffic and control who gets out. So you guys need to be thinking about these things. And when I talk about what we're doing here, we're building for the future, and we're trying to preserve a lot of knowledge. So we have a library that I would like to move from Dayton, Ohio. It's my library. It's books that I bought over the years. And I'd like to bring it here and make it part of the Ozark Herbal Academy. I'd like to bring more people to teach more topics because we need to know mathematics and we need to know nuclear physics because there are a lot of nuclear reactors. Some of them are to our west, not directly west, but it would be nice to have power. Electricity is good. And knowing how to keep those nuclear reactors from melting down and becoming bad things. Uh, you know, I have that knowledge in some books that I have here. And there are more books of mine in Ohio I'd like to bring here. That's a big project. It's, uh, it's a 10 by 20 storage. There's over 2,000 books there. And uh, books are part of our, our near-term future. You can't rely upon having the knowledge on Wikipedia because that's going to go away. And by the way, it's been corrupted by the people who run Wikipedia. They don't like vitamins on Wikipedia. They like pharmacies. Oh. So there's other databases. We have a huge database, and we'd like to expand access to that through uh, building our computer center here. We'd also like to build up our uh, herbal medicine production facilities. We have a, a place where we're, we're able to distill uh, different tinctures and make good medicines, but uh, good healing herbs. But it's important to, to d d distribute that knowledge so people know how to apply these things and when it's good to build up the immune system and when it's necessary to take down the immune system because it's fighting against you. And so, you know, immunosuppression is a thing that there's lots of herbs that help you with that. When you're having a, uh, you know, an allergic reaction set, you want to do that. When you're bitten by certain types of spider, you want to take down the immune system because it's fighting against you. 
but you know you have to know how to do that and uh and we'd like to build that here we'd like to help distribute that knowledge so these are some things that people can contribute to financially you know just throw money at the problem you can also contribute physically by coming here there's lots of work to do you can also contribute spiritually by praying for us and i would invite people to do those things because this is a project that has uh a lot of needs and can serve a lot of people. Well, as far as contacting you, Jim, is there any contact information you want to give people so they can reach out to you to support this? Well, I've been giving out uh, for a little while now, Jim, at eldarcapital.com. That's J-I-M at E-L-D-A-R-C-A-P-I-T-A-L dot com. And Eldar is the race of elves in the Tolkien novels, so that's kind of clever. And and people can reach me there. Uh, you have my phone number, so if you trust them, you can share my phone number with them with impunity. A lot of people uh, do know my phone number. And uh, they can find me. Ah, yes, they can. They can find me on Getter, Twitter, Facebook, and a number of other places where I am. Planetary Jim, P-L-A-N-E-T-A-R-Y-J-I-M. And I'm not always on these different social media. So, you know, you might have to uh, look uh, and, and, and send a message request and wait. It might be a few days before I get back on Twitter. I think Twitter's one of them that uh, God wants me on today, so I will do that. But, um, you know, it's not the same social media every time. It's different ones. I think Telegram is the one that I'm planetary gem. Yeah, yeah. And I have all, a lot of the, you know, pseudo-encryption apps, the so-called encryption apps. When you, when you look at the open source encryption apps like Signal, you can say with a certainty that there is encryption going on. And when you look at something like WhatsApp from Meta or Facebook, as it used to be called, and it says it's encrypting, but it doesn't tell you how it's encrypting, then you know there's backdoors. Yeah. But either way, we all know that the chips are tainted, that, that, that every microchip on the planet has code embedded in it, hardwired, if you will, where the espionage agencies can get access to the data if they really want it. Even the microchips in your appliances in the kitchen have these embedded back doors. Not that I really think it matters whether I've turned on the oven or not. I don't think that's going to be national security information in any way. But, you know, it's it's part of our, our world, and it's part of what we need to change. If we want to go forward, and I do, I, I want to live thousands of years. And if we want to do that, we want to have the, the benefits, the goodness of civilized behavior which you could argue would be a new thing in the West. And we, we could have a lot of technological joy. At a minimum, though, we're going to have to consider, you know, building back, scaling back, going to a fallback technology, uh, steam power, for example. If we stopped at the 18th century, the, the 1780s, let's say, and, and we didn't have to fall back further than that, 
we, we would have steam engines and we would have a lot of mechanical technologies and we would have automotive transportation because you could have an automobile without a single integrated circuit. We used timing chains as recently as the 70s and 80s, timing chains and gapped spark plugs and, you know, uh, what was that uh, device, the, 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 the rotor that had all of the... the Distributor. Time to the spark. The distributor. The distributor, yes. A distributor cap with a mechanical rotating little device, you know, that, that does the distribution of, of the spark so that, you know, and, and, and listen, uh, internal combustion is not the only way. You can also have external combustion. You might not need a gap if you're just using steam. Jim, they had steam-powered yeah. cars. They had steam-powered right? trucks. There are people still operating steam-powered trucks today. Yeah, it works. The technologies work. And so we can take, you know, take into account the fact that we know how to do all of this stuff as a species and we can fall back to a position where we have some good infrastructure and we have some ability to pump power into a cell tower if people want to have cell phones. But you're going to have to get used to the fact that things are changing and they're changing dramatically and they're not changing a long time from now. If what I am told about the death job is true and if the hundreds of millions of people in Europe really are as compliant as has been reported, and I have no real information about that, but if, if, if those things are true and those people have three years of mortality, then a lot of people in Europe are going to be dead soon. Well, it's not, but Jim, it's not just that. Think about what you just said. It's not just that a lot of people will be dead soon because you've been around people who die and under the best of circumstances with lots of family and lots of love, it's hard for people to keep it together and those are ideal circumstances. What happens to a bunch of mind-fucked people that begin to realize, because it's not going to be all at once. It's going to be... It's going to be a fuzzy thing, which means there'll be enough people at first that people will know they're dying. These people aren't just going to leave the building, Jim. They're going to set fire to the building before they die. Elvis has left the building on fire. Yeah, but this will include... In fact, fact, that might be why Germany made a decision to shut down reactors. Because they probably figured that a few of those nuclear engineers on the way out would say, fuck this bullshit, you killed my whole family, fuck you. Dude, people are going to be losing it psychologically prior to the mass die-off. Can you imagine how fucking crazy that's going to be in Europe? It's going to be crazy everywhere, and that's why I think people need to come out of Greater Babylon, and they need to come out now. They need to come out while they still can. I was watching a very interesting video from 20... I, well, let's see. Yeah, it would have been 2010. Um, Miranda Lambert. Uh, it's, a, it's a music video called Kerosene, and I invite people to watch it because it's a kind of fun little short vignette about, you know, she is betrayed by her man, by her husband, I think. She finds him in bed with another woman. And so the whole song, she's carrying a can of kerosene. And she makes this unlikely, very, very long, you know, kerosene trail. And then she drops a match and, 
you know, the, the, the trail is, is so far, so many, you know, hundreds of, of yards that it's unlikely that the, the fumes would, you know, it dissipates. You can't make a very long trail, but, but it goes a long way and it, and it sets the house on fire. And then, you know, and you see a conflagration there at the last. And, and I think this is, you know, this is, this is representative of what's happening. People do feel betrayed. People have been betrayed. And there is a lot of dark energy. And this is not all going to be resolved instantaneously. And there are some people who say, well, but Jesus is coming back for us now because this is it. This is the end. And I'm here to tell you that that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus sends his angels and puts in the 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 the, the scythe and, and and reaps and harvests the good. And a lot of souls will go into heaven as a result of the events that are happening right now. But I believe that it, it also very clearly says that there's a thousand years and then the devil is released for a little time. And we haven't even started those thousand years, folks. No, we haven't. So we have the opportunity to live through this and to build a world that makes sense and to be cognizant of the importance of not killing for profit and not killing for convenience. I'm sorry if you don't feel like you can live in a world without the, you know, the, the, the casual use of abortion. I, I, you know, I can tell you about abortifacients. They exist, and I think they're in the herbal database, I'm pretty sure. But uh, I can't recommend it. And I certainly can't recommend that you, you go to an abortion clinic today in a big city where they're using the fetal tissue to do all kinds of terrible things. I, you know, you can't, you can't do necromancy without consequences, folks. And there's been a lot of necromancy. The genocide of the Native Americans and the other genocides that we've talked about and the nuclear weapons and all of this war for profit and pharmacy sorcery for profit it's too much and it's all coming to an end and this is god's will and i'm not going to stand against god and say hey you know you should do that because some good people are around god will be like um dude don't tell me what I'm yeah but you know what jim the motherfuckers who say you should god won't do this because there are good people around those same motherfuckers who say well i support the syria thing and i support the afghanistan thing it's like wait a minute don't you realize there are innocent motherfuckers standing around when you fire that fucking missile that's right and 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 what is the united states doing with a base in the oil productive regions of Syria, you know, okay, there are Kurds who live there, and the Kurds do not want to be part of the Syrian or the Iraqi or the Turkish government. They want to have their own homeland. Okay, great. Tell you what, you know, the Kurds, you figure it out because it's not my problem. And I don't know why I'm supposed to support the troops being in a country and violation of the peace of westphalia and the geneva conventions i mean the the united states is is in a in the oil productive area of syria taking that oil that ain't right it's you a, can say a, what you want yeah it's technically it's technically an illegal occupation if you believe that there is anything legit or legal left in the world but that's right 
Right, and, and we didn't have, you know, millions of people die during the 30 years war in Europe and have the peace of Westphalia because it was a good time. We have the peace of Westphalia because war is terrible and it was a good idea to try to, to, to set some limits. And the idea, the fact, the fact that the, the posse comitatus and the, and the peace of Westphalia were thrown out in 1993, yeah. you know, a mere 30 years after uh, John F. Kennedy was, was, was butchered on the streets of Dallas. You have to say, well, they went too far. Oh, they went too far that time. And how could they? they how could they have known, Jim? How could they have known? <laughs> you always crack me up, brother. <laughs> how could they have known? I mean, I picked up the gun and I pointed it at that fucker and I pulled the trigger. But how the fuck could I have known, Jim? How? Oh, and, and Alec Baldwin says he didn't even pull the trigger when he killed that woman. He oh. pointed a gun deliberately at her. The level, Ow. you know, we could probably, I know we got to close this out, but we could probably spend several hours just talking about the schizoid relationship uh, between Americans and violence because it's ridiculous. A lot of Americans will talk peace and love until there's somebody they want to kill. Yes. And then they will only talk about how he had it coming. If you look at Kerosene, which is a funny little video, and I like it, and I like Miranda Lambert, she's got a lot of style. And if you look at the, the, the film Chicago, and you know, the he had it coming scene, it's, it's very funny, it's very droll. But, but when, you, when you really think about what is being said, it's not good. I'm sorry, you're going to have to grow up. You're going to have, this is the exam. These are the finals. You have to get ready. You don't have much time. You might need an all-nighter to get ready. Do what you need to do. Get your work done. And get out of Babylon. And, and I just want to say this one thing again. I said it in a, in a previous podcast. But before we close out, I just want to say it. I've had a decade to go through my Kubler-Ross stages about what was going to happen. And even with a whole 10 fucking years of a lot of brutal experiences, I still have a few little, let's say I'm still about 20 feet above, above the ground. A lot of people are going to have to go through the process of dealing with all of this, not in 10 years, not 10 months, not 10 weeks, maybe not even 10 hours. They might get 10 minutes. Yeah, that's right. And you can fall from 20 feet. And if you roll and hit right and, and you know which parts of your body to, 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 to lead with, like your, your, your butt, you can survive a fall from 20 feet and not even have a broken bone. You can. It's not always going to happen. But you can get up and walk away from a 20-foot fall. There are people who are still at 80,000 feet now. They are going to, they're going to fall a long time and they're going to shriek and scream the whole way down. And then they're going to hit, and there's not going to be much and, when they are. Yeah. Uh, and if you're living in Babylon, whichever Babylon it is, that's what you're going to experience. Come out. Come out, my people. Come out of Babylon. Well, Jim, I appreciate your time as always. We went a bit longer than we would normally go, but I'm kind of glad we did. Um, for all the listeners out there, I will include 
links to Jim's stuff in there, but also if you email me, I, you know, I can get you his phone number. He said it's okay, so I will. I, I won't just do it randomly, but, you know, if Jim's okay, I will. And other than that, Jim... I trust your judgment, Dan, and that's a scary thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say there. You know, you describe people hearing the voice of God leading them to the promised land, and I believe that's true. But in my own case, I feel like the Lord has been pulling me on an involuntary tour, a final tour of all the... It's kind of like, you know, Dante's Inferno in a way. I feel like, except for in this case, Jesus put me, moved me around the map of the earth a little bit to just show me what the truth was before I could finally get to the point that I could be someplace maybe safe where I'm at right now. But... Honestly, dude, I feel like I've just been going around that chessboard and just observing the devil a lot. And the devil's You spent time in Korea, and you must have spent time in Japan if you were deployed in Korea, right? I spent a little time in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, So you've seen some of the world, and the world is a big place. It is. People talk about the world. It's a small world, after all. No, it's not. Fuck you. It's big. I've... Flown across an ocean, you're not going to talk me into this. It's a small world, jazz. You know, you, you, you fly across the Pacific on a modern airliner, and it has the, the GPS map showing you where you are in the sky. And that midway, that midway, uh, it shows up on the map, and then you're like, midway? Well, we're halfway there? No, <laughs> you're coming towards the midway and then coming away from the midway. It's a long, long, long trip across that Pacific Ocean. It's a really a long trip. Of it's almost the whole day. And, and you, if you look you know, at the if you look at a globe, you can position it so it's all water. If you if you're looking at the Pacific, you can pretty much just have a, a little rim around the edges of land and it's all water. It's huge. Well Jim, I'm gonna tell you I hope you have a great like a great weekend, a great rest of your Friday. And uh, I don't really want to make this like a scheduled thing, but as you know, anytime you have a bug and you want to talk about something, you just email me and we'll do another show. And for all the listeners out there, I really appreciate your time. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. And just, you know, try to try to do some serious thinking this weekend while the grocery stores are still open. God blesses everyone. That's right. Thanks, Jim. Thank you.